0: Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show, everybody. It's me and my dad. Dad, you want to know what we're going to talk about? What? What? I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. That's your mic. Can I hear you? I'm trying to do a sound check. That's good. How
1: close does this need
0: to be? A little close. That's fine. I'm just going to raise the levels. Go now.
1: Okay. How's that sound?
0: There you go. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So when we talked about doing a podcast. I don't
1: hear me in the, in the, in in the headphones. How's that? That's good.
0: Do you, like, you don't have to use headphones. Not everyone does.
1: Yeah. I, my voice sounds pretty loud. <laughs>
0: is it? I mean, is it, is it louder than mine? Uh, we're getting yeah. the levels checked. Everybody hang on a second. All right, we're back. We got the levels all checked up. How are you doing, that, Dad?
1: My level sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So cool. How
0: are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Are you, uh, are you nervous about being on the podcast?
1: Yeah, I've never done a podcast before.
0: Um, you know, not many people have, actually.
1: Oh, okay. Then I'm in the majority.
0: I, before I had ever done a podcast, I too had never been on a podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're here in uh, Georgia at your house. And, um, you know, you moved here when I was 30. Is that right? In 28?
1: It was uh, 2008.
0: <clears throat> yeah. And you, uh, you've lived in a lot of places, though, throughout your life.
1: That's right. I started out <clears throat> in a little town in Minnesota. That's where I was born.
0: Uh, not um, near New York Mills, actually.
1: Uh, south of there, it, the, you know, my family, the uh, the uh, the Lang family, came from Sweden and took from Rockford, Illinois. They took a covered wagon up to Minnesota and settled up north of Minneapolis, somewhere around uh, Eagle Bend.
0: Is that Anders? Is that the origin of Anders? Or no? That's, he came through Ellis Island.
1: Well, they came through Ellis Island, but that's the way that the um, they came. They came from southern Sweden, and they took a boat to England, and they took a boat to... We had to go through Ellis Island in those days, in the 1880s or so.
0: And that was where the family name was changed?
1: I don't know. No, actually, I think it was changed when uh, Anders went into the army in Sweden, and uh, his name before that was Holmquist or something like that. Anders
0: Holmquist. Yeah,
1: and there was too many Holmquist in the army, so they decided... Holmquist
0: in Sweden is like Smith in America.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and also in Sweden, the the last name is not uh, any doesn't have any lasting significance. So you can change your last name. It's not like a because you know the the origin is uh, if you're John um, and you're uh, Sven's son, you're John (laughs) Svensson, and it just keeps going like that. (laughs) I like the simplicity of it. I really do. They still do that in Iceland. They still have names like that in Iceland. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so Anders Holmquist uh, joins the army, joins the yeah. Swedish army, which is, as we know... Well, no, Swiss is neutral. Yeah. So Swedish, he's, he's got someone to fight. Is he, who's he fighting?
1: Actually, I think there was a peacetime there. So that the, the Swedish army was just a bunch of uh, people that lived... I think if you joined the Swedish army, you got enough money for a house and for a family, and you were just um, stationed to live in a community. And if they ever needed to mobilize the army, you were there ready to go.
0: Yeah, you basically had to stay relatively fit, which is not hard for Swedes. They're a very fit crew. Yeah, yeah. So Anders Holmquist becomes
1: he in the army. They said, "Hey, you're tall, so uh, we should change your name to Lang," which in Swedish probably had a little zero above the a, Uh and um, then it's pronounced long, and uh, it means tall, like it does in German and all these other. uh, How how tall do you
0: think Anders was?
1: It's a good question. Swedes are pretty tall.
0: They're oh, they're huge.
1: Well, I mean, six feet back in those days is probably about what he was. Yeah. Right.
0: Really? Yeah. Maybe, so maybe he was relatively tall at the time.
1: Yeah, they must have to give him a name. You're, you're Anders Tall now. So. <laughs> and what does
0: Anders mean? Do you know what that means?
1: That I don't know.
0: I think I remember looking it up once and it meant different.
1: Well, that would be fitting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I thought. I think I, I could be wrong. Um, so... Anders, uh, and, and then he's in the military, and then he comes to America. He's the first one.
1: Well, actually, of his family, his older sons came first. The, uh, in those days in Sweden, there was kind of a, um, almost a, a, a real drought. It was hard to make a living on the farm and um, uh, economic changes. And so it was a lot of Swedes emigrated to America in the late 1800s. And so first the oldest son went, and then by the time... Anders came, and my grandfather was a young boy then. Anders was like fifty. He was ready pretty much to retire from the army. So he and his wife and little uh, Frank, who was um, my grandfather's name, Frank vernier. Frank Werner Lang.
0: Verner was the name with a with a V, yeah, with a V. and Cause I think because that's your the origin of your middle name.
1: Vern. It Vern. got scrambled at Ellis Island. I think it was some. It was obviously even a name in Swedish, and so when they got to Ellis Island, it was like, it's, they sounded like the the Swedish uh, chef. Um, you know, you "Okay, you're you're Frank Werner." He's talking <laughs> about the he's talking
0: about the uh, anim- the character from the Muppets. Yeah, right. The chef. He was very good. I was a fan of Gonzo personally. Did you have a favorite Muppet character?
1: Oh, I think I liked that. Well, Gonzo was cool, and of course Kermit, I like Kermit. Kermit, obviously. But the my lead, favorite, lead, my favorite, man. my favorite was the, uh, was the uh, was the Swiss Chef. Really, you oh, connected yeah. mostly with the chef. Oh yeah, he was so cool. <laughs> I just liked the way he would he would just he would just make nonsense sounds. All right,
0: you know what? Hang on a second. I'm gonna I gotta pull up audio of this. Okay, so I have a video here. This is for all of you. Uh, it's gonna be audio, but for all of you that uh, either do not know what the Muppets are which is possible, Uh, but for those of you that do know, that want a reminder, here is the Swedish chef from the Muppets, he's going to give us some recipes apparently. Okay, I think you get the idea. <laughs> is he the Swedish chef? Oh, he is the Swedish chef. He shepherd. is the Swedish chef. That's yes. his name. Yes. Um, this is—he's. I don't know if you could tell, but it, what do you think he was making in that video, Dad? Could you tell?
1: Probably making lutefisk.
0: Uh, wrong. Popcorn. Popcorn. One of my favorites. Oh. The irony continues. Um, so, what... Um, okay, so anyway... Um, well, you know, there's a lot of family history here. Anyway, it roots back to Sweden. Um, I, I, I'm i grateful that you guys gave me a family name, at least, in the middle name there, because I think that's important and valuable. You have family names. Mom does. Um, you know, I, it's funny how important family is, yeah. you know? yeah. And I think one of the coolest things that I've found, um, I don't know when the podcast is going to come out, but when I asked um, Patrick from National Customs, who I played Sweetens Cove with, I asked him to write a letter to golf. And um, he burst into tears because he um, realized in a moment that golf was his father who passed away almost exactly a year ago. And, you know, I think, you know, it's cool to go through the heritage of you know where we're from genealogically and the family tree, which I know you, you, you spent quite a bit of time making a family tree uh, that didn't exist.
1: Yeah, what happened was my uh, father's sister, my aunt, she really got into doing uh, genealogy. And so what I have is a very uh, thick, loose-leaf binder, a three-ring binder that's an inch thick. All the data that she's recovered from uh, going to Sweden, getting information from Sweden. So she's got detailed information on the whole Lang family. So all I really did was read her source material. I didn't do much independently from that.
0: Well, I guess I'm curious is was, was there any, was it, was it, did it ever go beyond binary? Did it, did it ever become an experience of, did you ever gain any value or learning out of that experience?
1: Well, I think, um, yeah, one thing I found from all this is that my in terms of looking where my interests lie and where they might come from in the past... Your my, interest being explained to the people who don't oh, oh, know? From, I'm a, um, I have a PhD in physics, but more than that, I just am interested in stuff, gadgets, making things, understanding things. It turns out you get paid more for doing physics than you do for just sitting in your basement making <laughs> things.
0: <laughs> you, you could be one of the most interested people I know. <laughs> you know. And I feel like I've met a lot of people, but, but you... A, a quick example for those listening, I don't know if I ever went over this on the podcast, but, but you and I were at dinner in Florida, and I wanted to know, I, w- I, I, I was curious why sometimes when you put a Coke in a glass of ice, it goes flat immediately. And we figured out the answer.
1: Yeah, and I've already forgotten, but uh, it had some... It has to
0: do with the surface area of the ice and the uh, temperature of the beverage. That's right. So if the ice is really dry and the Coke is warm then you will have a very flat Coke when it arrives at the meeting. But if you have wet ice and a cold soda, it's the perfect combination. So anyway, we found this out, scientifically proved through other people's research. But anyway, you, you've always gone through life very fascinated. So so, what did the family tree find you?
1: Well, I think what the main thing it found me was all the things that my grandfather, who was the little boy who came with Anders. Uh, oh, what was his name? His name, it was it's Frank Frank f his initials are f v Lang Frank Vern Lang and my father is his uh, his son was Fay Vern Lang which uh, he never forgave his parents for calling him Fay um, even so, back then oh yeah it was kind of like the you know the um the uh, uh, Johnny Cash song a boy named Sue <laughs> same kind of thing yeah. He said, "But it made him be tough because uh, he was constantly getting teased because his name was Faye. So he became a football star in college because he wanted to prove how tough. Really? Was. Yeah.
0: Your dad was a football star.
1: Well, in a small college. See, I only
0: <laughs> I only have two memories of your dad. Uh, one was uh, in a trailer in Kirkhoven. Oh yeah. With two hearing aids, and yeah, I just remember. I was so young. I was yeah. like single digit, seven, eight—not single digit handicap, but single digit age. And and um, and then the others, I think, is just made up of pictures and stories that I never yeah. was there for.
1: Yeah, the one picture you probably liked a lot is this picture of him as a naval officer in World War II. That's I had pretty, I took I had a, that picture. It's a very impressive picture. It was a
0: black and white photo that was painted. Yeah, and he had rosy yeah. cheeks, kind of, you know, and a perfectly fit. Uh, what, what what branch was he in? He's in the navy. So he, yeah, navy. Uh, his 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 suit. What do they call that? His his formal wear. I don't
1: know. But, uh, well, it was the suit. Yeah. Well, he was just wearing his dress uniform. You know?
0: Dress uniform. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, but but you learned about something about so being
1: his a... his father. I always I was always interested in science and stuff like that when I was in grade school, and my dad knew a lot about that for reasons that I didn't understand because he was basically a uh, a Phi teacher, he went to a teacher's college in Minnesota, in St. Cla- Cloud. And he was a football star in the St. Cloud football team and he was a handsome young guy. And my mom, uh, you know, they got married soon after college. And so, um, uh, but he knew a lot about science. He was interested in science too, even though he was mostly a gym teacher. Huh. And so two things I got from him was, he learned about science and he had some golf clubs laying in the in the basement which uh, he never I never saw him play golf much, but um, there were these golf clubs down there, so I would start swinging them in the yard, hitting little wiffle balls with holes in them. But uh, we were never in a country club or never even knew anyone in a country club or never lived anywhere near a country club.
0: You were relatively uh, lower middle class? Middle class?
1: It's yeah, sort of... Um, my dad worked for um, Ford Motor Company, and he spent his time going around trying to convince dealers to sell more cars and
0: uh, you uh, i guess the best way to describe is your upbringing financially is you were up and down
1: yeah yeah because we did things like uh, my dad really wanted after giving the uh, hassling dealers to sell more cars he wanted to be a dealer himself so we had a chance to do that we moved to a little town of lamour north Hmm. dakota
0: l-a-m-o-u-r E. Oh, Langs Lemoore. Oh, with an E at the end. Oh, yeah. Langs We have
1: these little signs, Langs Lemoore. That was the garage name, the name of the Ford dealership.
0: The, uh, the sign he's referring to is if you've ever seen the badge on an old car that's sort of made out of chromed metal that all the letters are stuck together with a line on the bottom and it's kind of italicized, that was the name of the dealership. Yeah. And they would put that on the car to further advertise.
1: That's right. That's right. It's, it's a cool
0: sign. We have one and I think um, your... Uh, um, um, Bob had one. Yeah. Your brother. Yeah.
1: I think I still have one out in the shop. It's got, it's an old mailbox, a metal mailbox. I made in ninth grade metal shop and it's got, uh, a Lang's Lamore thing stuck to the top of it. <laughs> right.
0: So, and then this is remember the story about your, um, you know, things going upside down for your dad and then coming home and finding out that some, so items of yours had been sold. Or was, that, was that? Oh yeah, that yeah, was
1: okay. that was actually interesting. My uh, <clears throat> my uh, my mom's father in, in Minnesota, Kirkhoven, He I had an, well, my dad had uh, when we we sold the gar- after three years of being in this garage there was crop failures and other kind of nasty things going on so he had to close the business down and there was one thing left that he gave me for all the effort of working there which was an old Model A. Um, Model A Ford, which is a 1929, 28 Ford or something like that. How Ford does the York.
0: Model A look different from the Model T? Uh,
1: the Model T looks like uh, what you would have if you took a horse away from a horse and buggy. The Model A looks a bit like a car.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Because yeah. you turned it into a hot rod.
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't know. I would have. I would have been nice to do that. But that's what happened. I put it in my grandpa's garage in Kirkhoven. And yeah, years later, we came back, and it was gone. And he said, oh, this guy came around, and he he wanted to clean my garage out. I wanted to clean my garage out. And he, he offered me, like, 500 bucks for that old Marley, so <laughs> I, I sold it.
0: I mean, I would be pretty pissed.
1: Yeah, well, he was a lovable old codger. Was he? Yeah, he, he really loved golf. He was a cool guy. He loved golf. He had, There was a little golf course outside of town in, in Kirkhoven and, and he played golf a lot. He was a politician. He was a county commissioner in the... In the Swift County. So. And what did
0: he go by, Jan?
1: No, he, his name was... Oh, this uh, is your mom's dad. Was, his, but he was also Swedish. Interesting. He's uh, his, his Egerström.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes.
1: Which means he's from the farm of Egerholt, and that means the woods by the Eger or something like that. And But uh, both fathers, my mom's father and my dad's father, both came from Sweden in the 1880s. Fascinating. Yeah. The Lang side. Uh, Got to get back to you asking about Frank. Frank, yes, my sorry, my grandfather. He was a Ford mechanic. Okay. He um, and I still out in my shop have a perpetual motion machine he made, uh, which is uh, made out of uh, old pieces of a, a car. And it's basically it spins around with weights, and the weights as they go over the top, there's a little cam that pushes a weight farther out, so it falls down, and so in principle it would keep going forever. If you, but if you ever took physics and understood the laws of thermodynamics you would understand that it's impossible for that type of work so he never knew physics but he was trying he was trying to he had he, some clever ideas
0: he was curious enough to maybe in a different life understand a lot about physics
1: yeah he was he was a mechanical genius he could just make things and then at, after a time when he he started up a little movie theater he ran a movie theater and then he he was uh, into
0: movies and golf
1: yeah movies and golf i Mo- can relate yeah right 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 <clears throat> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He, he Well, he was showing movies. He wasn't making them. But, but, but still. He, but he was in... He If he would have had money in his family and weren't just living on a poor farm somewhere, he would have gone to college and been an engineer or a scientist. That was his background.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And that's what you took away.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's my total interest. It was just kind of... Two things. Being totally interested in understanding things but still being a farm boy at heart, not... Being high highfalutin or anything like that,
0: yeah, we never really had that going for us,
1: our family was not high had that we had that going for us,
0: yeah, yeah, you know even um uh even last night, you know when uh when we were looking at the bowls that you've turned over here, you know like there's there's all these there's all these bowls that you've made with the lathe in the garage, yeah, and um you know I think one of the things I've learned from you the most is um it's not really about you or me, right? You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause you know, we're, 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 we're looking at all these balls, and you're quick to point out, Oh, but I didn't make that one. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. didn't, this is someone else's and this is why this is interesting. And it's not so much a, <clears throat> you know, it's never really like, look what I did. It's more like, look what I'm interested in. I'm interested in all of these polls.
1: That's really true. Yes. And, and, um,
0: I think that comes from, well, however, that maybe it's a Swedish thing or maybe it's just the way specifically, you know, the family was.
1: I think it was, yeah, I think both, uh, especially my, that's the, my grandfather lying, Frank, he was really an interested guy, he was interested, he was curious, he was interested in stuff, but he was still a stiff old sweet. and I was a, he died when I was really young, like probably in grade school, but he was uh, not the kind of guy that would sit you on your lap and bounce you around, uh, mm. my uh, mom's dad was that way, he would bounce you around, and he had this... Um, he would always sing this little song. I remember it, Christmas comes what, once a year and I'm going to buy myself a monkey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, that's what, that's if you got it is. the money, you know.
1: Well, he didn't have enough money for a monkey. But he always...
0: <laughs> Curious George, maybe a book.
1: I, I like Curious George. Yeah, it's cool. It reminded me of my grandpa who was going to buy a monkey. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. So, so then, um, you know, your introduction to golf doesn't start in, uh, in any type of program or any type of uh, Social scene, right? It it continues with the other things in your life. It's just a fascination, right?
1: Well, that's right I found these golf clubs in the basement when we were growing when I was in Fargo and I said "Hmm, What are these and my dad knew enough about golf because he was a fire major in college? He was teaching all sports. So Hmm. he knew golf and baseball and football and all kind of stuff He wasn't really a big golfer, but he he uh, he showed me enough about how to do it I don't recall having lessons at all but he might have showed me a little bit how to how to swing the club. So,
0: right, uh, and this is at what age?
1: This is probably grade school. Yeah.
0: Grade school, so um, late fifties. Uh, no, early fifties. Early fifties, okay. before
1: Arnold Palmer and all that kind of stuff. So you, we didn't even have a TV, so there wasn't golf on TV, anyways. So. Huh. So so and golf isn't much to listen to on the radio. So.
0: Um, and th- but they had um, they had art- I mean, how did you? learn about golf aside from the swing was there any golf media that you could consume like articles or magazines
1: no, no they don't there have was nothing, that in there fargo was nothing <laughs> the one thing i did which was cool was that sometime when i was in grade school they had a an amateur tournament which was uh big enough to attract people who had the southern accent so that mm. means it came from at least as far as southern illinois and because uh, you guys didn't travel much no. Nah. Well, we traveled to see relatives. We would go to Minneapolis. We'd go to Kirkhoven, and that kind of stuff. You
0: would drive no more than 5 or 10 hours?
1: No more than 5 or 10 hours to a place where we didn't have to rent a hotel.
0: When, when <laughs> was the first time you really got out of uh, your um, you know corner of the world up there in the north, central, midwest?
1: Good question. I guess... College? I went to even college up there. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, we pretty much...
0: When was the first time you got on a plane?
1: First time I got on a plane, that's a good question.
0: Maybe not in the memory bank. It's probably... I mean, it was in your teens. It was in your late teens, it sounds like.
1: The, I, the, I, the first trip that we had uh, to the East Coast was with the Boy Scout Jamboree in 1957.
0: Whoa. And that's, uh, that's, a, that's a nationwide... Event with some thirty thousand people, right?
1: Yeah, thirty, fifty, something like that. It was in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Oh, right and here
0: where where we where you ended up, uh, you know, raising your family.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we took a train from Fargo to Minneapolis, and then it got on a great big train just full of scouts, going. We stopped at Niagara Falls, stopped in Chicago on the way, and saw the uh, big art, a muse- big uh, museum in Chicago. And are you
0: wearing your Boy Scout uniform the entire time?
1: Probably, I think it's the only clothes we, only clothes we took with us. Amazing,
0: right.
1: <laughs> and then we got to Valley, Went to went to New York City, saw the Statue of Liberty. Went to Pennsylvania, saw the Liberty Bell. Went to Washington D.C. and saw all that kind of stuff. And then we went to the Valley Forge place, and we uh, uh, were there for ten week to ten days, camping out with fifty thousand other boys. And the um, I think President Eisenhower came and talked wow. to the place. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really. The Scott jamborees in the mid century were. Really, really a big deal.
0: Yeah, I remember. I never got to go, but I wanted to yeah, as, as a yeah. boy scout. Yeah. But um, okay. So back to the golf. So you, um, so you, you get you get a homemade swing from dad. Yeah. And um, and then you know you you kind of what, what happens then? I mean, you, you don't really play much.
1: No, I don't play much. In fact, I never played on a golf course until I don't know when. The first time I was on a real golf course was in Fargo. I was a caddy that there was an amateur golf tournament that um, you know brought people in from not, out, more than just Minnesota and North Dakota. It was maybe a, a regional amateur or something like that. And they were advertising they wanted caddies up there. And, and since they didn't, they just wanted caddies to carry bags, they didn't need to know anything about golf. So I rode my bike a half hour across town to go up here, and I signed up to be a caddy, and I was carrying the bag. It was really cool. It was like on Caddyshack. I was like one of the caddies on Caddyshack. <laughs> it was so cool.
0: Did you, what did you wear that day? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, just regular clothes, like any, just nothing.
0: Just a golf outfit?
1: Oh, I didn't have a golf outfit back in those days. I <laughs> 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 I don't think golf had golf outfits the way I knew it. Anyway, I, I don't know what I wore. I just yeah. probably, the guys on Caddyshack didn't have golf outfits either. They just, you just wore a t-shirt. just wore a t-shirt and some ratty jeans or something. Yeah. Uh, Nowadays, it's I, very different. The biggest memory of that course was that I, I caddied for a group that had this strong southern accent. And I don't know where they're from, Texas, whatever. But by the end of the day, I was talking like a, I had developed a draw. They were talking <laughs> real slow. Well, what do you think about that ball over there, boy? I want to go, <laughs> <laughs> hey, wanna, yeah, I'll take a, I'll take the driver now. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was cool. You just became one of the team. I be, Yeah, it just, it was fun. It was really cool. Was, that was the first, that was my introduction to real golf. And so, um, and then about that time we moved out of Fargo to this little town in North Dakota. But that had a golf course. It mm-hmm. was a, a nine-hole sand green golf course. Oh, Cooper Beatty. Yeah, which was like the, the it was in golf. it was the Lemoore... It was Lang's Lemoore, and it was the Lamore Country Club. And my dad, being a big-time businessman in this town, paid the hundred dollars a year to join the country club. Hundred dollars
0: a year back then. How much now? Two thousand. Thousand. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and so the kids, we could. Uh, when we were 16, we could drive. So we'd all drive out there and we would break into the uh, clubhouse when it wasn't open and, and get a Coke out of the Coke machine. The clubhouse there was- busy. You would
0: break into the clubhouse?
1: Well, we'd just go through an unlocked window, but- Wow.
0: Uh, I just don't see you as being a rule breaker.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing we did in, in those years was we would, um, well, the river would freeze solid. And I had lots of cars cause my dad was a car dealer. So I would just take whatever car was around and we drove it. And we had these old cars and we'd drive them on the river which was like, it reminded me of the um, Chile open. I basically just golf. relived your childhood in, <laughs> yeah, right. in
0: Adventures in Golf. Yeah,
1: right. So that we would drive this car in the river, and the main trick was to see how many times it could spin it around. So we'd get <laughs> it up to speed and then crank the steering wheel and see how many times it could spin it.
0: How often uh, would you crash into a tree?
1: No, you'd usually just crash into the bank, which was just a bunch of grass, so it wasn't uh-huh. a problem. It was not. A, it was. It was more challenging than a lake, though, because it was only about 30 feet wide. So. Yeah. But I learned a wonderful technique there. So in snowstorms on real roads that were icy, I knew how to drive on ice. I knew how to steer into the skid and keep the car going straight if it starts skidding. So spinning the car... around. Understeer? Yeah, right. When when your tail end goes out, you steer toward where your tail end is going and it straightens out. Yeah, that's fun. Whether whether you're on ice or gravel or whatever, it still works.
0: I want to get in a race car right now. (laughs) (laughs) How fun is that? So... um, Going back to the, uh, the 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 foursome that you played with, the southern foursome. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me because I feel like immediately what I hear there is this experience of golf as a learning experience, as a way of connecting with the world, as a as a strange little invite into someone else's life.
1: Yeah, that was before I went to the Jamboree. It was before I knew people talk different than they do in Minnesota.
0: <laughs> you never heard that before.
1: Well, I used to think everyone said... Yeah, sure, you betcha. <laughs> We're from Minnesota.
0: <laughs> but no, but there's a whole different accent out there. Oh, yeah. From your same country.
1: Yeah, amazing.
0: A good challenge for Adventures in Golf would be to do 10 episodes in America.
1: Yeah. Although I, t- I think American, because of television for 50 years, our accents have gotten fairly homogenized. Although, you know, you can you can go not too far away from where we live here in Georgia and you can find people you can't understand.
0: Yeah, um, so, so you get into golf and then, uh, and then, um, well, what else? Like, so, so, so then, then let's zoom forward a bit. You you kind of don't pick up the sticks for many, many years.
1: Yeah, I did a little bit of, I did all this golfing in high school at the sand greens. And then I was too busy in college to do it. And then I was too busy. in. And graduating. by the way, if you're listening,
0: you don't know what sand greens are. If you want a full experience, just watch the adventures in golf from Cooper Pedy. Where I played for the first time in my life on sand greens, and it's a pain in the ass.
1: Oh yeah, and it's the same deal as Cooper PD. They're they're sand greens that are soaked in motor oil so that they don't blow away, and you have this little kind of a, a metal. It's like a, a bunker rake without tines on it, and you just kind of rake a smooth path from wherever your ball landed. So there, it's not like it's it's you, it's you pick up your ball, you wash the oil off it, and you uh, smooth the path out. Put your ball back down. And then you got a nice smooth thing to put on. Those greens didn't have a whole lot of break.
0: Yeah. No, there's no break. And they all go uphill. <laughs> and you need to wear black shoes. <laughs>
1: right. Oh, yeah. White. Wait.
0: <laughs> I didn't even think about that before I got there. Um, oh, but we were
1: saying... So uh, and then when I got into graduate school and doing research and stuff like that, I just never had... No way I had time. So flash forward until uh, your Chris, your older your brother, was born... 72. When he was in high school, he got into playing golf and he kept wanting to drag me out to play with him. And so, uh, he did a few times and at, I,
0: at, so at like 16, yeah, at 16, he'd, right.
1: be, he'd be dragging me out to play golf. And so I was probably 45. Mm. And, um, uh, so then what happened was mom and I decided, Hey, you know, we should learn how after a few years of going out every father's day and playing golf and, um, everyone, I remember one time though, it's, it's those wonderful shots you get. Every once in a while, you hit a great shot. Yeah. And playing with him once, I actually hold out from a greenside bunker, and that was made my day. That was so cool.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Where yeah. was that at uh, Pinchbrook or?
1: It was at one of the one of the Morris County muni's. I forget which one. Not Pinchbrook.
0: Um. So so basically, Chris gets you back into golf.
1: That's right. And then Mom and I took lessons. It turns out Pinchbrook had. Um, uh, I, they had a teacher who was a, um, an LPGA uh, pro, but she wasn't a touring pro. She did golf lessons on the side and, and was a, a, um, a gym teacher at, at like uh, someplace up around Persephone. And um, she taught, she coached the girls golf team and she did stuff like that. But she was an amazing golfer. I mean, she could, she could hit the ball way farther than I ever could. Hmm. And uh, she was a wonderful teacher too. So mom and I had lessons for quite a long time from her. For was a her couple name of Kelly years. or something? Oh man, I, don't, I remember, don't know. I don't remember her name. But um, uh, she was she was a wonderful teacher, great golfer. One and that's what really got that's what got me seriously into golf. And I bought my first set of used clubs then. Huh? <laughs> I mean, in the sense that's significant because before I had never bought a set of used or the clubs we got were lying around. We had lying around clubs that my dad had from somewhere. And so then I bought the used, I got a set of used Callaways and we, uh, I got serious. I, I was probably at my best ever as a golfer in those years, taking those lessons and playing in the Muni. I was really good. I could, I could hit some good shots.
0: It's all about practice. I mean, you can I still mean, hit great shots, dad. I we're going to play tomorrow. I'm really excited.
1: I mean, I, back in those days, i show you where I am now. I could easily hit 150 yard par three to the middle of the green every time. Yeah. And uh, now I can't even hit the ball that far with any club except maybe a driver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. We'll be right back, everybody. All right, everybody. Precision Pro Golf. This is take three. I bet you want to know what happened to the other two takes. Well, I flubbed a line or two, and then I probably cursed. I think I needed to go to the bathroom during one of those. But anyway, Precision Pro can tell you exactly how far away the bathroom is from wherever you're standing, as long as it's in a direct sight line. It can even tell you if it's above or below you, and it'll vibrate upon isolating those numbers anyway back to the script precision pro golf is the maker of award winning golf rangefinders that's not a driving rangefinder that is a i don't even know why they call it a rangefinder it's a pin finder it's a precision pro golf pin finder i'm sorry i hope i don't get in trouble for renaming the product but anyway you as a listener of the eric anders lang show have a deal in store okay not in store it's online let me just get that clear to you guys and gals okay look we're always getting the best deal for you and it's the rangefinder that my golf spy said is the best value rangefinder on the market. How many times do I have to repeat that to get it inside your heads? It is the best value rangefinder on the market. I can say personally, I use it. Personally, I like it. Personally, I love it. I think it loves me. The reason why I would say it might love me is I'm going to jump ahead in the script. I'm going to tell you about the precision care package that the NX7 Pro Slope comes with, which includes free lifetime battery replacement. Okay, listen to that. What that means is it loves me, okay? Free lifetime battery replacement. That's 78.69 years in the U.S. So a two-year warranty and all the features that golfers want, like slope-adjusted yardages, you know what I'm saying, slope. I had a caddy named Slope once. It was at uh, Oakmat. My chap Slope? He didn't talk like that. But anyway, pulse vibration lets you know when you hit the flag with your hands, not with the ball, because when you hit it with the ball, You're probably screaming. Anyway, it's basically as satisfying as when you airdrop something. You feel me, Apple users? I'm sorry, Android users. I do not have an analogy that can simulate anything happening in your life. Because I only use an Android when I, whatever, this is not that. Anyway, also, I'm sure that in 78 years, when you die, you will have a Precision Pro built into your retina. Or you will be dead and this ad will no longer be relevant. Anyway, focusing on the script. You're getting a hell of a deal when you get the NX7 Pro Slope Rangefinder because you're going to get $20 off. In some states that's two burritos, in other states it's four. It really depends on where you're coming from. It's all relative. But either way, just gonna deal it back to the my golf spy saying it's the best value rangefinder on the market. Whoa, we are two and a half minutes into this ad, and I apologize. But the point is go to precisionprogolf.com to add the best golf rangefinder to your bag, your golf bag, or your backpack, school bag, suitcase, wherever you want to put the rangefinder. It's fine with me and them. I'm not sure other listeners are gonna be okay with it. But anyway, swing with confidence, hit more greens. With Precision Pro Golf, we're talking stats. People get the numbers and then do the math and then play golf. Okay, bye. All right, folks, you know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so, anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I I'm I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, The two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T. Okay. The Tour 360 XT changes the game. Okay. It's lighter. So your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes. And I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um, Tor XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that Boost, y'all. Do you know where Boost comes from? It And Boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made Boost like was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around. And everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that Boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at Boost right now on my feet boost on my feet uh and it has an x-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability literally it's not sane it's literally crazy your feet will literally be like i'm crazy best part it comes in spikeless Ooh, that's tight the first spikeless ever in the history of the tour 360 crazy comfortable and perfect for the course get your pair at adidas.com thank me later follow adidas golf for all the latest and greatest that's all true statements right there check it out go support adidas because they're a good company good people i like it Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason. And we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy. And we have a podcast called Dumb People Town, where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, welcome back. So I guess I'm curious to know, you know, there was a time in... Um, high school or, or no, it was after high school, Facebook had just started, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up in a time where, you know, we were talking about photography last night. You were really into photography.
1: Right. Right. And
0: we were talking about film and you know how nowadays there's no film cameras and I feel lucky to have grown up with film and to grown up without Facebook. And we had a landline phone that, you know, um, had its own number so I could make my own calls. Right. It was pretty luxurious at the time. I remember. Um, but I'm, I, there, there was a time after high school where, uh, I, I reconnected with one of my high school friends and I was in this state of like searching kind of, you know, cause I had just gotten sober at 20. And so this was probably 23 or 24. And, you know, at that point in my life, I'm trying to sort of recalibrate who I am right? because, you know, as a kid, I was curious. And then as a teenager, I was sort of a, uh, a, um, uh, how would you how would you characterize me as a teenager, actually?
1: Um, I guess <clears throat> you were what they say in um, Al-Anon is a, a pretty much of a manipulator. Really? In the sense that you were real charming and you made it look like you were doing everything good, except there was evidence um, occasionally that you didn't hide that indicated you weren't doing things the way parents wanted to have them done.
0: I was just going to say troublemaker, which sounds a lot more innocent, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think the manipulator no, is pretty bad. I'm
1: talking about, no, no, no. The troublemaker part is, is uh, the way things went in school. You were just a normal, healthy troublemaker, and not really a troublemaker. You were a, um, someone who wasn't going to just kowtow to uh, authority for the sake of kowtowing to authority. You were happy to learn things if they were exciting to you. But you didn't want to learn things if you didn't know why you needed to learn them. Hmm. And uh, you like to be the class clown, which meant you were practicing for your current career. And, uh, <laughs> and, but then what I'm talking about is the drugs. I mean, you were, sure, sure. Those all... Well, we, don't, we don't need to get into that. We we, we, Everybody's heard that story. That's the way it works. Uh, that's Keep, what's what I was referring to. Other yeah. than that, you were just... Uh, and so we were kind of disappointed that you were uh, doing that because we uh, felt that it might impact your future life in some negative way.
0: Yeah, well, it affected my memory, that's for sure. But um, <laughs> you, but I guess that that's interesting to think about. What I was going to say is going through this period of high school, the big changes, um, a lot of drug use, and then kind of getting sober and really looking back at who I was. My fly's undone. Um, who I was, um, I, I reached out to some uh, high school friends that I had kind of lost uh, touch with, uh, through Facebook a couple of years later, and I was curious to know, and I think it was an Aldous Huxley book, The Doors of Perception, how we, uh, you know, see ourselves is not reality.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And
0: so I reached out to some old friends and I remember saying, can you just help me? Can you just tell me some memories that you have of of our time together or of, 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 of how you saw me or that define me? I was always very unclear on who I was. And now at 38, I feel very clear, but I'm sure that even there's some things that you and I haven't had the sort of formalized chance to sit down and discuss now that the podcast gives us, I can make the joke about you and mom listening to this podcast, but mom's, <laughs> mom's sitting over there in a chair. Um, she was invited on the pod. She declined, uh, uh, respectfully declined. She had other plans. She's uh, She's, uh, what are you doing, Mom? <laughs> I'm playing a game. She's playing a game. She's into Mahjong. She's into um, Sudoku. So, you know, we're trying to keep it down over here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but but I'm curious to know if there are any uh, stories that kind of, you know, uh, you you think of. Uh, yeah, about.
1: It's actually, I think I should... Uh, <clears throat> mom's a good one is a better one at remembering stories we should try and get her back in i gotta call her agent i gotta call her agent she's but um i what i remember is all of your um attempts to do the um uh fashion photography Hmm. which was going on um i remember when you were when we first bought our apartment in new york and you were in there and and you wanted to do some fashion shoots on the on the stairway going down to the service entrance and you had all this, the, the new super was giving you a hard time with the, uh, um, not wanting you to do it and stuff like that. And you would do things like you'd, you'd borrow my credit card and go buy a bunch of clothes for the fashion shoot and then take them back after you were done and get a credit on the credit card. And, uh,
0: I feel so, like you have these memories because they were stressful to you. <laughs> they,
1: they were, what it was, was, um, yeah, they were stressful because I could start. My little head was spinning around with all the ways this could go wrong, but it turns out it never did. I never had a ten thousand dollar clothing bill I had to pay for. And we um, did put a lot of money on that card. <laughs> yeah, I know we did. And um, uh, you know, so it was always about. I was, I was um, so happy that you were on to something that you enjoyed, that was fun. And I wasn't sure how you were ever going to make it into a career, but I wasn't worried about that at that point because it was more important. That you were doing something that, that was fun that you could grow with, and and, and uh, uh, it, it was clear I think both to me and you that the uh, industry was uh, sort of um, using young photographers to get their free editorial copy for their magazines because they would they'd say oh you get to do a photo shoot for us, and then of course we aren't going to pay you but it'll give you exposure. <laughs>
0: yeah, they, they still do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, there's a lot of paddling before you actually catch a wave. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It really is. Um, it, it was interesting to hear you just talk about high school, um, in the sense of hard to, um, hard to do, hard to, hard to do the homework on subjects that I didn't find interesting. Did you experience that also? Because you are, you know, like I said in the beginning, you know, kind of, um, continually fascinated And, um, you know, it's, it's very easy for me to work very hard at things that I find interesting or meaningful or that I'm curious about. Um, but, but at the same time, it's, it's almost impossible for me to do some tasks that are actually very simple, but that I just don't want to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And so I think, um, that's probably a little bit of difference. Maybe it's my Swedish background or something. There's something, or maybe it's my, my, um you know uh protestant work ethic or something there's something in my background that makes me do stuff even i don't want to do
0: well you and i had a very different upbringing i mean you you said to me at one point in my life you said i grew up with the idea that i uh you know the things aren't going to be all right you know your your father's attempts at different businesses made you feel like you needed to uh, sort that out. Sort that part of your life out immediately. Right. As far well, as that's
1: true. Yeah. Right. I, I. I always. My dad was full of wonderful grandiose plans. You know, we were going to build a new house in Fargo. We were going to do this. we were going to do that. All sorts of stuff we were going to do, and we never did any of it. Yeah. And the stuff we did do, <clears throat> moving out to Lemoore, was kind of a bad decision. Uh, he. He was kind of underfinanced as far as doing the business, and so. He didn't really ever have enough money to make it work, so it wouldn't he was kind of on the hairy edge of failure all the time
0: But you basically as the oldest of three boys you basically said I'm out of here I'm gonna to go to college and I'm going to not live this way as an adult.
1: I don't think I Felt that way specifically, but I might have because I was thinking when I was a young kid uh, we, we, we 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 went to Kirkoven all the time. We had this wonderful lake cottage my grandpa my mom's dad had this wonderful lake cottage on Green Lake and I remember thinking all the relatives there, they were like, you know, they ran clothing stores in the local town. Maybe they were a dentist. Maybe they were, uh, they were all local guys. They never left anywhere. And so I just thought myself, as well, I guess I'll be selling suits someday. And this, so in that sense, the idea that I could do something and not end up working in a in retail in some little town of Minnesota, in some subconscious way, I guess that's what drove me to do these things. So I really wanted to, uh, excel at what I did. You know, I, I was doing Boy Scouts and I wanted to finish my Eagle because I just, that's what you did. You know, I wanted, You're an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Holy Why? shit. I didn't, I didn't make a big deal of that. It's, but you know, yeah.
0: yeah, you didn't really hold that over my head when I dropped out of Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I, think I, I made it to Wolf.
1: Wolf. Well, that's, that's a good ra- second a, tier. Yeah. It's up there above yeah. Bobcat, you know, Bobcat. <laughs> <laughs> above <laughs> rabbit. <laughs> you were, you were, weren't you involved in my scout troop? I probably was. Yeah, I think yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, my dad was big in scouting. My right. dad was he worked in the professional uh, scout organization after mm. after the war when he came back from the navy, he one of the jobs he got was with the scouts as a as the local guy who helped get scout troops going and that kind of stuff. So he was he went to summer camp when we were little kids, we'd always go to summer camp with him and stuff like that.
0: So then you go you go to college, you um you meet mom, you you move to New Jersey, you take a job, uh, work for Bell Labs, doing exactly what you want to do, uh, research. Right. And that's going well and and you have a Volkswagen bug, bright (laughs) yellow, have a house built in nineteen oh nine.
1: No, no, it was, this was built right after the war. Oh, 34? Out of in, uh, 45, 46.
0: Anyway, we had a beautiful old house in New Jersey where I was uh, born. and That um, wasn't
1: the house you we were born in. That was the house before that. We moved the there hu- a year after I was born. Yeah. Too. The house we, you, you... I don't remember. The house you really remember is our beautiful house that was built in 1928. It was a beautiful old house. Yeah. yeah, with the chimney on the front. Yeah, yeah, that was a great one. And
0: And, and I'm getting at basically... Your fascination with research in physics, um, you're you're researching for the most part semiconductors at this time?
1: Yeah, my specialty was in understanding how defects and impurities affect the electrical properties of things you make computers out of, like the semiconductors, the silicon chips that you make computers out of. Yeah. As a material, silicon's real properties are due mostly to its impurities. And so that's what I was studying: how the impurities, the in a very fundamental way, how the impurities work out.
0: So you were working on a material and and becoming becoming very familiar with a word that was about to become the buzzword: silicon. Mm-hmm. And at this time, you're given probably an incredible opportunity with stock options at AT and T or, or Bell mm-hmm. Labs, and and at the point at the time, they're probably relatively meaningless to you.
1: Yeah. What happened was I. I got promoted in, from being just a researcher to a couple levels up where I was uh, an executive in charge of a big division doing research. And I wasn't doing research anymore. And that was not as much fun. Hmm. It paid well, but it, didn't, it wasn't much fun.
0: What I'm kind of getting at is how my upbringing was so different from yours. Because you basically did what you wanted to do. You yeah. loved it. You were fascinated by it. You had no problem. You, I don't ever remember you complaining about your job. That was not part of my childhood.
1: Yeah, I remember when we we had we had all these stock options, and when they got converted from AT and T stock options, to lucent stock options, we had like gazillion dollars sitting there in in, <laughs> hang on, in hang paper on. profit.
0: People are going to not know what a gazillion dollars is. It's you, uh, you had it. You had a modest amount of money based on your salary that you then transferred into an apartment in Manhattan, basically.
1: Right. We had enough mo- more money than I'd ever had before in my life,
0: and it was a shocker to you.
1: Yes, although it, it turned out it was also paper money. And most of it disappeared in the crash of two thousand one or so. So, it, it didn't have any much lasting effect, except for the apartment we bought in New York. <laughs> right.
0: And so, I guess what I'm saying is, is I saw a world of infinite possibility and, a, you know, a, a sort of a, a a safety in chance. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and as well, even if you separate my upbringing from Chris and Cindy, who are eight and ten years older than me, or you know, your others, my yeah. my siblings even they grew up with a very different upbringing than me because in that 10 years, when I was learning how the world works, I saw a world where you went to a job that fascinated you, you came home, you helped me with my homework, sometimes overcomplicating simple geometric questions (laughs) and geometry, but you know, but still you, you, you were always excited, uh, about the ideas of what you were exploring in your work and then it paid off. Yeah. And and then we, I remember we went to the Cayman Islands one summer. Right. And it was just the three of us, me, you, mom, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. And and I think that for me is a perfect example of how different it was for Chris and Cindy versus me, because they, they never did that. They, no. You didn't have the money to do that. That's right. And they were at that time too old. They were already in college. Right. So they didn't get to go on this trip. So so here I am, uh, from a psychological perspective, I'm an only child actually. I don't know yeah, if we true. talked about that.
1: Yeah. You're 10 years. So by the, when you were a little kid, they were all like in high school. Yeah. And then when you were in grade school, they were gone in college.
0: So they were closer to aunts and uncles or family friends in some way. Yeah. And, and they weren't colleagues. Right. And it's been interesting actually in my adult life to try to turn them into colleagues. It's not the easiest thing. I mean, yeah. there's just, the experience is just so different of that, but, but I'm kind of getting at this difference in my outlook on, you know, the world now as an adult and how it's like, oh yeah, I can, you can go do that. Like just, you just sort of point the boat in that direction and you end up there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, it's actually interesting because we can now relate this back to Tom Cousins, who is, um, the owner of East Lake golf club in, in Atlanta. And I don't know when this pod's going to come out or when that's going to come out, but to summarize it briefly, Tom basically spent some of his billions of dollars that he earned from uh, being a real estate developer in Atlanta to change the face of this small town outside of Eastlake that was in complete disrepair. And, and the impetus there that I real, that I learned yesterday and I had learned it before, but I forgot was this idea of, well, if I grew up in this neighborhood, right, the slums without high poverty, high crime, father in prison, you know, not going to go to high school or college. If I grew up there, I wouldn't have a chance. Yeah. And that's why he changed all of that. And basically came in with these really revolutionary ideas as far as mixed income housing, uh, you know, education. And now they have a hundred percent high school graduation rate and a hundred percent college acceptance rate, which is absurd. I mean, it's it's, amazing. Yeah, I didn't, you know, Madison high school's record was dinged just because I was there, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it, but anyway, it just sort of really brings me into this bigger picture of what makes us who we are. And, you know, in so many ways, sacrifices that you've made potentially, if they don't feel like that, maybe that's a great way of looking at life for you, but you know, Turn my life into something different.
1: Yeah, I I, the, I didn't realize what we were doing to uh, be able to give you give you what you've got is an un, uh, a great self confidence and a great ability to go out and make things happen, to make an adventure work for you. You know, and uh, um, I never could do that. I was always the scaredy cat. I was, you know, I perseverate about finding a place to park by our apartment in New York. <laughs> it's like uh, it's a game. You know, it's terrible. I'll
0: frequently um, call you. And I'll say, I'll say, what are you doing? You say, I'm in the car waiting to park (laughs) in Manhattan, listening to the podcast.
1: (laughs) And 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 that's two sides of that story. One is worrying about parking. The other is not wanting to pay $500 a month to park in a garage.
0: Hey, respect.
1: Yeah, because I figured out that that, um, the amount of money I earn by not parking in the garage, by only sitting in the car for an hour and a half twice a week, corresponds to a huge income tax-free, effectively, because I wouldn't be doing anything anyway. (laughs)
0: Wait, wait. Did you do this on paper?
1: Yeah, yeah. I can figure you, out...
0: You wrote it out. It's a you huge... You budgeted out the parking scheme.
1: I'm making so much money by not parking in the garage. So
0: is there a Seinfeld <laughs> episode that we can refer people to? There is, right? Oh, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. This is that curf- was one
1: of his constant shicks was parking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and here's the funny is I went to brunch last week in LA and I parked in the red and, and I was with somebody and she said, you're going to get a ticket. I said, I'm no, not going to get a ticket. And it came back, no ticket. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know
0: what I remember? I remember when we went to uh, when we went to the Bellagio. Yeah, and we and we and you had never played blackjack, right? And we played blackjack together. And I remember you were making. You, you, what was your experience of that?
1: I, I was not saying, a
0: gambler, folks. I don't know if you no, can tell.
1: No, no, I'm trying to calculate the odds and this and that <laughs> and everything else, and I can't, you know. And so
0: and you were doing things like you would hit on like eighteen, and yeah. you would stay on like a ten. <laughs> And you were winning. And it was like, I was just like, everybody at this table is going to leave because you are just breaking the rules. But, uh, but I remember that being very fun. That was fun. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think, you know, the other interesting thing that I learned about Eastlake is they talked about uh, one of their uh, slogans is golf with a purpose. Okay, And, you know, obviously that made me think of uh, mom's dad, um, sure. Dick Bell, who was a large hand in starting Highlights Magazine that, you know, I've talked about on the pod before, but I, I wonder if, um, you know, how does that, what do you think about all that?
1: Well, I, fun with the is highlights, but you know, of all the people in my, in our family, our joint family, the Bells and the Langs, uh, that you're really most like, um, mom's dad, your grandpa, Grandpa Bell, because he was a, just a wonderful salesperson because he loved people uh, he um, he could make a friend anywhere he could sell ice to the Eskimos he just <laughs> and and he could not because he was um, a con man he could because he could he seriously loved people and he could show them how what he was selling was really good for them and he what he was what he was charging for it was a fair price and um, hmm. Uh, he was the guy, it was his idea to have highlights put in doctor's offices. It was his idea to how to sell highlights. And it, it, it made the magazine go from a little tiny family organization run by the Myers family to a huge, big, uh, enterprise. And he largely uh, did that as the business manager for the magazine. You
0: know, it was interesting. I realized in that moment, maybe for the first time ever is that I, I am a salesman, but, oh, yeah. but I just sell golf in general. However, well, you want to buy. I can't sell it to you, but I am interested in selling you on golf.
1: Well, yeah, and that's what that's what Grandpa Bell was like. He was he was a one. He, his his you immediately fell in love with him when you first talked to him. He was so friendly. He was so his presence just exuded acceptance and warmth. Hmm. You know, and that's what you inherited from you. If I see that,
0: well, on some level, that was was that part of his. Um... Spiritual beliefs, religion was a part of his life. That's
1: right. Before he went to work as a salesman, he was working in the church as a director of education, Christian education. Yeah. Oh, education. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, because he you was his, his degree was in education. He was he started out as a as a school superintendent or a school principal and stuff like that. He, mm. uh, Milwaukee State Teachers College.
0: How? Um, uh, what, what, do, do you want to um, hang on a second?
1: Okay, we're back. So, so I think the way to summarize my feelings about how what you're doing now is that I can see elements of all of the good things from our background and our life and relatives that have come together with you doing something I could never have predicted. And with my mindset, which I was worried that you weren't going to succeed because you weren't proceeding like I would have proceeded. Of course, I never achieved the same kind of uh, success in the same area you did. Mine was kind of an introspective, in-the-lab, all-alone uh, introvert. Introvert. I was an introvert. Mom's an introvert. You're an extrovert. An extrovert is someone that... I'm also... not sure
0: I am an extrovert.
1: Yeah, but you're... Well, the definition is an introvert gets charged up by being alone and can manage to charge his batteries long enough to deal with people. An extrovert gets charged up by being with people. And then needs to rest once in a while.
0: Yeah. Can it change, do you think?
1: Oh, yeah. I think it can. I think it can. I think... um, um, But I think Grandpa Bell is an extrovert. Mm. And so that part of him... Whether you've... Being a mix between a full-on extrovert of Grandpa Bell and a full-on introvert like me and your mom, you couldn't possibly not have a mixture of both.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: But what you do is you, you manage it in a way that that I'm really proud of. And all the stuff that um, I was worried about all those years with not doing college, not doing this, not doing that, makes you a different person and a wonderful person and doing, achieving much better than, uh, you know, I'm really proud of what you've done. It's cool.
0: Thank you. Thanks for not making me go to college. (laughs) I would have had a hard time. It
1: would have ruined you.
0: It, It would have been like from the frying pan into the fire maybe.
1: You would have probably had to go into some job to make money, and that would have been a stultifying experience, and you would have hated golf. Do
0: you have any advice for, I know a lot of my friends listen to this are new or young fathers, do you have any advice that you've learned over your time now, even seeing your grandkids grow up to the age of oh, 13?
1: Yeah. Advice for young fathers. I think um, it's the most important thing is they grow up really fast. Those first four or five, six years, when they're very much when you really have an impact on molding their life, you really got to pay attention to them. And, uh, you got to go find a golf course where you can take them in a stroller with you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You mean don't leave them behind.
1: Don't leave them behind. Take them with you, do things with them. Um, and, and find ways to enjoy golf that leaves you time to be with family. It it would not be a good idea to do traditional fifties type golf where you spend all weekend on the course and, the wife takes care of all the kids and you just kind of pat them on the head at night. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the TV 50s sitcom image of family life. And that's kind of what I saw from my parents and so forth. And that's what doesn't exist anymore. And that's the huge change. And you have to keep uh, living that change and making it better.
0: I remember the other day, actually, we were... Um, we had been working in the morning and we were interviewing someone. And then it became... Uh, an opportunity to go play golf again somewhere else that day where we were. And, um, we were kind of all planning on it and I was like, Oh man, can you come? And he said, no, my, uh, I'm going to go home and see my daughter. Yeah. And I was like filled with relief that he made the right decision and didn't say, yeah, let me see if I can get out of it. Oh yeah. Because he had fulfilled his obligation to me as a, as a, um, you know, we were filming him, you know, we were interviewing him and, and I was just so relieved that he didn't try to get into some sort of bargaining situation where he could leave that much more primary obligation, devotion, yeah. and then just try to come and, you know, screw around with us on a golf course in an unnecessary way.
1: Yeah. Although I think I, I wasn't the, you know, I, I don't want to pass myself off as the world's best father because I was, as if mom was on the podcast here, she would, uh, remem- remind you that, um, I would come home from work totally wondering about what the hell I was gonna do the next day at work and a real, real problem. And I was sitting there and I'd read some stuff and we didn't have the internet, but I have a bunch of my briefcase full of papers and I'd read this and read that. And I would read the kids a nighttime story before that, but I didn't take care of them nearly you know, 50% of the time. And mom right. did most of that. So um, we did it more with the grandchildren. We had more of a 50, 50 kind of thing, but then I didn't have any huge career. It's hard to balance. The needs of a career with the, with the family. And, and, but it's really super important to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine, um, having kids right now myself and I'm 38. You were, you were 30 when I was born and I was your youngest.
1: Let's see. So, uh, you were 40 when I was born. Yeah. 40, 40. 40. So you were okay. early
0: thirties when everybody else was born. Yeah. Right. That's right. So either way, I mean, I, I just couldn't imagine it.
1: it. it. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if you're gonna do justice to both things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you've got is the problem that women have always had. Women have always been forced, more or less, into uh, having children when they're in their 30s because of the way the biology works. And then they're stuck having to do the child care unless they've got a husband who wants to do part of it with them. But usually the husband goes off and is high-flying in his career in his 30s and 40s and the wife is take care of all the kids. Right. That's And the whole point of women's lib and a lot of things. What women want to do is have be empowered to have a big career like that and still do family. And it's, as you can, if you imagine trying to do that as a man, you can see that's really darn hard to do. Yeah. And so somehow, something like golf has to bend a little bit to allow that to happen. Yeah. It has to be uh, either in- include family in it or have it be shorter. You know.
0: Well, I can tell you're a listener of the podcast because you're asking questions of the game that a lot of people find very rigid and you're sort of making requests overall as to what it can do to fit more into the year we're currently in and, Mm. and, and the world that we're currently in, which is from my perspective, very fluid and very open-minded and you know, there's not as much time as there was and you know, there's not as much space as there was physically. And, um, yeah, I think that there is a way to, to make these changes, but it's just going to be, sort of like when they changed over from normal headlights to daytime running headlights. Like they gave it 10 years or something before every car had to have daytime yeah. running. It's like going to be something like that. You know, It's going to take 30 years.
1: It'll take a while. I, like what mom and I like to do now is, our course is, is being remodeled now. The old Nicholas course is being rebuilt. But we used to just go out and walk four or five holes at night and um, never played 18 holes. Uh, no. And, and um, that's the way I think of golf. I think of golf as... Going out and having a nice walk with a few holes. You know, when I was first out and got reminded me when I first started golf, I was upset all the time. Mm. Chris kept saying, I don't like to go playing with you because you get mad all the time. And um, now I don't. But it's largely due to the fact that I've given up on being able to score, so I just enjoy it.
0: <laughs> I remember the one time we went to um, Chambers Bay for Father's Day, and we read The Cosmic Laws of Golf prior. And we... Um, we just had a wonderful day out there, just really looking at everything that the game had to offer. Right. Everything. Right. So the full, every ingredient in the sandwich was inspected.
1: Right. No, I've, I mean, when we played in Florida, even then when I was not too many years ago, you kept saying, just calm down, breathe easy. <laughs> just take a nice swing. Don't worry about it if you hit the bad shot, whatever. And it's taken a long time, I think, for me to recover from this perfectionist attitude about things, which I usually have. Perfectionism has done me well in my career, but doesn't work with golf
0: well maybe that's the yin and the yang of it you know you yeah. get this opportunity to sort of live happily with a completely imperfect performance record on the golf course yeah you know and then you go into another and that's i i mean you know the, you never know like y- you could hit a bad tee shot and you just never know what's about to happen like you could actually have the best shot of your life on the next shot. You just, so the, so the getting mad is sort of like optional. Yeah. Right. It's not required.
1: Well, and it's, it's a really hard on your playing partners. They do not like that.
0: Yeah. It's also very selfish. Yeah. When yeah. you put it that way, Yeah. I have my bouts. <laughs> Thanks dad. I look forward to having you on again and maybe we can put out some listener questions prior.
1: No, no, for, I've forgotten a lot of physics, so no physics questions.
0: <laughs> we spent the morning trying to understand, well, we spent the morning with Dad explaining to me why hurricanes in the northern hemisphere spin clock, counterclockwise, and in the southern hemisphere they spin clockwise. And we came to the answer, and then we even potentially may have come up with some new research. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically, if you're standing on the equator, you are always spinning at 1,000 miles an hour approximately, um, because you're on the, you know, the spinniest part of the Earth, if you will the edge of the dreidel. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, thank you so much for joining me, Dad, uh, and um, look forward to more. A
1: lot of fun. Thanks.